Good morning. It's nice to see some of you face. There's some family from out of state. It's good to see uh, some of you I haven't seen in a while. My name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors here. And I have the joy of speaking my first Easter service. It's fabulous. Not under these circumstances with, with the passing of Sid's father, but definitely it's wonderful. And it's very exciting to be here. Um, you know, everything hinges on the fact that our great God and Savior is alive and back from the dead. And we all need some good news. Uh, today we're going to be talking about living hope and what difference that really makes in our lives. And if you look at the media, there's not a whole lot of hope. But hope is out like oxygen for our souls. And if you've ever had a starved soul, that means you've had a lack of hope going on in your life. In fact, not only media, but most church experiences, most religious experiences, most spiritual experiences really lack hope. They go something like this. There is a deity that made everything. Something went really wrong. And you have to get on the treadmill of trying to please the deity with the hope of pleasing him someday, but you're never really sure. That's not hope for me. And the reason it's not hope is because there's no guarantee. There's really no, there's this, there's this work with this great uncertainty. In fact, we all know that deep inside that as we try to get on this treadmill to please the deity or God, that we know that there's no chance that we ever really can. And so we try to hide and cover up certain parts of our lives, hoping that maybe God doesn't see this, and, but deep down inside we know that we cannot measure up to God. So if you're a guest today, I would like to welcome you. We're thrilled to have you today. It's a privilege. And um, I want to share some really good news with you about not having to get on the divine treadmill. It's a gift that we don't have to. And the reason it's good news is because God's Son, Jesus, did all the work, and our job is to believe. That is good news. That's why we call it Good Friday, because Good Friday, you think that's kind of gross and weird and sick that we say Good Friday, the Savior died. But it's tough for him, but it was a good one for us. So today, my prayer is that you guys are encouraged. We're going to discover why does it really matter that Jesus died and rose again. And we're going to cover a lot of scripture today. And I got thinking about how do I want to, how do I want to leave you all with my first Easter sermon. I really care very little if you all think that I'm a great speaker. But I want every one of you who come to church today to encounter God's truth in scripture. No one can walk out of here and say, he was just saying his opinion. It's not from the Bible. You will walk out of here. You will actually read it from Scripture. You're going to encounter first. We're going to read about the death and resurrection of Jesus in John 19. We're then going to look at 1 Corinthians 15 and see what difference the death and resurrection makes now, today. And then we're going to look at Revelation 20 and see what difference the death and resurrection of Jesus makes at the end of time and for eternity. Does that make sense? All right, so you guys can turn with me to John chapter 19. And it's on page 879 in the blue uh, Bible in front of you if you're using that. Page 879. 
And again, we're going to read quite a bit of scripture, so bear with me. And uh, we're going to read almost two chapters here in John chapter 19. And we're going to see, we're going to see the account of his death and resurrection. And I'm going to ask you this one question. Why was this written? It's going to repeat this about four different times of why it was written, okay? So uh, that's my question is, why was this written? John, John chapter 19, and we're going to pick it up in verse 16. So Jesus had gone through all, all his false trials, and he says this, Now finally Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. The pilot had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them in four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by a lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Verse 25. Now near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, that, that would be John, by the way, he's the writer, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Now later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now, it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath, because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those with the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Now later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. 
Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took, away the, took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. We'll come back to him in a little bit. The man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. By the way, that's just John's gentle way of saying, I'm a lot faster than Peter. <coughs> Verse 5. He bent over and looked in, the, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but not, did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying, and who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned, around, turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I, ascended to my fa- I am ascending to my, father, to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord! And she told them that, she had said, what, that he had said these things. Now verses 19 to 29 are Jesus appearing to the disciples and then appearing to Thomas who doubted. And then verse 30, we're going to pick it up. It says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So, Fairly long passage, but I just want to highlight, we, get, we read about the death and resurrection of Jesus. I want to highlight, if you look in verse nine, at chapter 19, verse 35, the man who saw this, which is John, the disciple, 
and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that what? You may believe. And then we see in verse 38 and 39, both Joseph and Nicodemus, who were Jewish religious men, who thought that somehow attaining to the Old Testament law was a way of getting back to God, these guys actually came to faith in Jesus and were disciples of Jesus, and they believed. And then John, who is one of Jesus' closest friends, in chapter 20, he actually had to go on his own journey again, of he saw, in verse 8, he saw and believed. And we see again and again that John, the disciple in writing this, says, as the scripture uh, prophesied, to show that Jesus Christ fulfilled scripture. And then we finally read it in verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So, this is not just good history. It's meant that you would believe that Jesus is your Savior to save you from your sin and the punishment that's coming your way. Now, you may actually, uh, by believing in this, you actually can have life. Now, one thing I've learned since I started uh, serving in church ministry since 2005, there's a lot of people with a beating heart that are not really living. There's a lot of people in our community who actually are consuming food, waking up, they're actually living life, working jobs, but they would say they're walking and living death. It says here that you may, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. It is God's plan that we have life that starts now and lasts forever. And so this was written so that you would believe and receive the gift of life from Jesus himself. So here's a question for you this morning. Do you believe? Do you believe? Okay. The reason I ask this question is because you don't have true life. You can buy stuff. You can be a consumer you can take a place up on earth. You can even buy a house. You can do all these things. You can have children. But until you're actually in Christ by faith in his death and resurrection, you're not really living. And if you're honest with yourself, there's something missing. And that something missing is life. And life is found in Jesus Christ. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. You now, you can actually say, I read about the death and resurrection on Easter Sunday. And that establishes the fact, and John wants us to believe. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. That's a 9.33 if you have the blue Bible that's in the chair in front of you. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 ties up the account of Jesus' death and resurrection like a bow. And it clearly tells us why the death, his death and his resurrection is to be proclaimed and why it matters today. Like, yes, that was 2,000 years ago, but why does it matter right now, today? Okay? 1 Corinthians 15, page 933, and we'll read the uh, verses 1 through 3 first. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, 
if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. So here it is. What's the gospel? For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. In other words, the most important thing you can get in all the teaching of Scripture. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. So already we see that Christ was the substitute for our sins. It says it there. Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. And if Jesus did not die, then I'm still in my sin. I'm still separated from God. And that is some very bad news. Very. But praise God, he did live perfectly and he died for my sin and he died for your sin as well. So then we're going to go on to see that his death paid for our sin. But what about the resurrection and what difference does it make? Let's read it. Verse, uh, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So there you have the gospel. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. That's called the good news or the gospel. And it says you are saved if you hold on to that, if you believe that. And by this gospel you are saved. So you'll see very quickly the first reason why the resurrection matters is that scripture, uh, scripture uh, prophesied it. It says according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, that he was raised according to the scriptures. So there's tons of prophecies. Jesus himself prophesied three times alone and said and told his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, and I'm going to come back to life. So I'm not exactly sure what John was thinking when he didn't quite connect the dots that Jesus had said this, but he did personally prophesy himself three times, and you can see him back to back in Mark 8 and 9, of him saying, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. And then he says this, verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also as, one, as to one abnormally born. So we see that the resurrection matters not just because of fulfilled prophecy, but Christ appeared to over 500 witnesses. In our court of law, to establish a fact. And here, he decides to blow that out of the water and say 500. And at the time of this writing in 1 Corinthians 15, most of the people you could still go talk to. He says most are still living. And then if that's not enough, he starts name-dropping reputable people and the Apostle Paul, who's writing here, is he kind of caps it off, and he says, I, I actually saw him myself as well. So, it's a fact based upon many witnesses, reputable witnesses. In fact, there are many people uh, then that still did not believe, and we're going to see that in the passage in verse 12 and 13 and on. But uh, there are many today that actually believe that the resurrection never really happened. Um, if you don't know who Chuck Colson is, Chuck Colson was part of the Richard Nixon administration, part of the Watergate scandal, did some time in prison, and during his time in prison, he actually came to faith in Jesus, 
And uh, Chuck Colson was, um, he was the one who wa- talked about worldview and how wor- our worldview and our culture collide and how our faith is to impact all of that. But Chuck Colson, who was part of the scandal, who did prison time, he says this, I know the resurrection's a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that, the truth, that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured, that, that it, endured it if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. And so Chuck Colson, as he came to faith in Christ, he understood that this was an impossibility to hold a lie for so long. And so he says it's absolutely true. Now, some still didn't believe in the resurrection, even though there were 500 witnesses. And some still don't believe today. But Paul, and we're going to drop down to verse 12, Paul actually says, let's pretend that there isn't anything like a resurrection at all coming back from the dead. Let's just pretend it doesn't exist. Here we go. Verse 12. But if it, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? In other words, if there's 500 witnesses and beyond, and there's reputable people, and fact has been proven, why is it that some of you are still going, nope, nope, nope? And so we're going to see in the remaining verses here what difference it makes if, let's just say, the resurrection never happened, and there is no resurrection at all. Let's read it. He said in verse 13, If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all others. So, if there is no resurrection of the dead or the next life, verses 13 to 16, he repeats himself twice here. He says, then the fact is there's no resurrection of Jesus. And in verses 14 to 17, he repeats himself, our preaching is useless I might as well not even be up here. Our faith is useless. Your faith is worthless. It's futile. And then ponder this. He says, you are still in your sins. Ponder. Still in your sins before a holy God. He goes on to say, it gets worse. In verse 15, that they were false witnesses or liars about God. You lie about God, that's a very serious offense. And Paul and the many eyewitnesses testified that they had seen the risen Jesus. And how many of you guys have proclaimed that Jesus is alive? You'd all be liars too. You'd all be fakes and liars. 
And then verse 18 says that everyone who died believing this would be lost forever. And then just to cap it all off, he says, if you just have hope in Jesus and it just ends at this life, you should be pitied. Don't pity me. And don't pity anyone else in this room who believes in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because verse 20 captures it. Paul puts a big but. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So because it did happen, it's the foundational fact proven and verified. He is the first to rise again, and as a result of his resurrection, he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So those who believe that Jesus died and rose again, when they die, they come back to life. In the end, when Jesus comes back for them, we're going to read it in a minute, because Jesus himself came back from the dead. And verses 21 to 23 is a pretty deep theological truth, so I want you to just really put your brain on here for a minute. And it says this, For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a human being. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So verse 21, death came from a human being, and then it says, but a resurrection came also from a human, and we should all be asking, what is he talking about? And then he gives us verse 21 to explain the verse 20, or verse 22 to explain verse 21. In Adam all die, meaning this, Adam and Eve were in relationship with God. They chose to rebel against God, and they were broke that relationship, and they sinned, Therefore, when they had children, they passed sin on to their children. If you have children, it's not difficult to see children are sinful. They get sinful real fast, right? They start acting on that real fast. And their children, actually, Cain and Abel, Cain murdered his brother real quick-like. And it doesn't take long, by Genesis chapter 11, you see how the world has just gone, I mean, downhill fast. But you see that... Every person born after Adam is born in sin. And that when I and I have children, all my children are a bunch of sinners. Right? And every child born after them is born sinners. So, what do you have to do in order to become a sinner? You just have to get born. None of you had anything to do with it. Your parents did. But all you had to do is be born. But the question is this, how do we get in Christ? Because it says in verse 22, in Christ all will be made alive. We have to be born again. You say, how can you be born again? You would not be the first person who asked that question. How can I be born again? I told you earlier, when we read earlier, that when Jesus died, there were two gentlemen that were part of burying Jesus. One, Joseph. Two, Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night for fear of what the crowds would think because Nicodemus was a spiritual religious person. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, we know you are from God because no one can do the things you do and not be from God. And Jesus politely really kind of doesn't even respond to what he says. And he says, 
you have to be born again. And he says, I, I, I don't understand. I'm an old man. I've, I can't enter in my mom's womb again. And Jesus says, you've got to be kidding me. You're Israel's teacher and you don't get this? And Jesus gives the example of the wind blowing. The wind comes from one direction to the other. You know it's there, but you can't see it. And Jesus is trying to make the point that there are things that are true, in fact, that you cannot see. And you know it. And he says, I don't understand this. I just, and Jesus says, you have to be born again. And uh, Nicodemus still doesn't understand. And Jesus pulls out an Old Testament account. And he says this, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It's the account where the people of Israel were complaining against God in the wilderness. And God sent snakes to actually bite the people and kill them as judgment. And Moses cried out to God, asking God to have mercy on the people. And God said, Moses, if you fashion or form a bronze serpent and put it up at the center of town, if people, when they are bitten, will look to the serpent and believe that I can heal them, they will be healed. So as he's telling Nicodemus this, Nicodemus knows this account. And he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And then this is where he says the famous verse that he said it to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Have life to its fullest. So, there you have it. We are born, and that means we were in Adam. But how do you get born again? That you believe in the Son, Jesus Christ, that he died and he rose again for you. Resurrection weekend, Resurrection Sunday, 2019, is a fabulous weekend for you, from you, for you to turn from works or any other approach to Christ alone in faith trusting that he died and rose again for you. That will give you a living hope, and you can truly be free. So if you find that in your living, you're missing something, there's something missing. It is that living hope, and you can have that through being born again in Christ Jesus. First Peter captures it this way, and I think it's so good, so encouraging. Praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us a new birth, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So we know this, that by faith in Jesus, his death and resurrection, we have an inheritance that will not spoil no matter what comes down the pipe. Now read with me in verses 23 to 26. For those who belong to Jesus by faith in him, here are the order of events. Verse 23. But in this order, Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So in other words, Christ came back from the dead, and then when he comes back for us, he, uh, those who belong to him will rise again. Verse 24. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom 
uh, to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so we know Jesus comes back from the dead. We know that then those who trust in him, he will come back and raise us up as well. He will destroy all rebellion. And then lastly, the last thing he's going to take care of is death and death itself. So why does Jesus' death and resurrection matter? We see in verses 1 through 3, his death is payment for my sin and yours. And his resurrection gives us life now, a living hope. Now his resurrection gives us living hope at the end of times too. If you guys want, you can turn with me to Revelation 20. And the reason I'm reading this is because I believe that most, if not all of us, lay in bed at night and we ponder the day that we're going to stand before the Lord. And at times, whether in our childhood or as an adult, we've actually had maybe a dream about that. And uh, it's something that I think each of us face and wondering what it's going to be like. Well, don't wonder anymore. I'm going to read it for you. The Bible's clear on it, what it's going to be like to stand before the Lord. So if you're not sure what it looks like, please listen up. It's on page 1004 in your blue Bible in front of you. But Revelation 20, verse 11. And we're going to see what difference the death and resurrection makes in the end of time. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And everyone was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. All those names, all whose names were not found written in the book of life were thrown into the lake of fire. So we will stand before God to give an account for our lives. And everyone wants to have their name written in the book of life. Only those who are not born, but born again, have their name written in the book of life. So if you are born again by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, your name is written in the book of life. Friends, it's a sad thing, but if your name is not written in the book of life, any type of dream you've had that it's a nightmare, it's going to become true because you're going to have to face the living God And there is no grace at that moment. There is judgment. But I want to encourage you by faith in Christ, having your name written in the book of life. Let's read in chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. So if you are born again by believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we see that you are declared righteous because you can actually be in God's presence. God's dwelling place is with you. It's a reunion with the God that you love. We'll be with him forever. He wipes away our tears. He destroys death. And he makes things new. So on Easter Sunday, I want to just kind of close with this. Consider your life in a mirror. Is it characterized by living hope? Or is it just living? Good news. We are saved from our sin and its penalty by faith in the death and resurrection of the Messiah. Today is a great day to be born again. You can be born again sitting in your seat by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ. You can believe that Jesus died and he rose again for your sins and you can have a living hope. And by believing, he puts your name in the book of life. By believing, he starts making you new again. And by believing, you join the millions of people who have gone before you by faith over the last 2,000 years since his resurrection. And friends, the resurrection does make all the difference in the world. We do believe in the resurrection. Christ was resurrected. Our preaching is not useless. So it's not useless me standing here. Your faith is not useless. And all those who have gone before us are not lost. And when you die, you will not be lost. By faith in Christ, our The resurrection makes all the difference. So the question is, I know you were born, you're sitting here. But were you born again? You have to be born again. I invite you, if you place your faith and trust in Christ today, share it with somebody. I assure you, if you came with a family member, that family member has been praying for you before you ever came. Just letting you know. They're praying that you would actually become born again. And the reason is is because they care about the day you're going to meet the judge. If you've already trusted in Christ to forgive your sins, then today, celebrate like it's the best day of the year. Friends, we are going to come back to life after we die. That is amazing. So, don't modestly eat the turkey Don't modestly say, he's risen indeed. But actually, it should shape the way you live. In fact, do you understand why we meet on Sundays? Every Sunday, we proclaim the resurrection of Christ. So for us as believers, people who believe in Christ, we should be looking at Sunday like it's the best day of the year. We get together to remind each other the truth, that we have our sins forgiven, We have a relationship with God, and when we die, we get to be with him forever. That's fantastic news. So I encourage you this Easter, celebrate like it makes all the difference in the world, because it does. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your your word. We thank you that you have preserved it through time, that we can see 
the prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. Lord, it builds our faith that he was foretold that he would die and that he would rise again. It builds our faith that there were more than 500 people, who reputable people, who actually saw the resurrected Christ. Lord, it builds our faith that we all know that we are sinners when we, when we lay in bed at night and know that we have to face a holy God. It builds our faith that when we see how your son Jesus lived a sinless life, died and rose again, and it put the puzzle pieces together of this divine rescue plan, that if we trust or believe in him alone, Lord, we can have eternal life. Lord, thank you. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, you are our living hope. I pray that for my friends today, as they walk out of here, they would love you more deeply, that they would walk out of here with a hope in their heart, a lightness to their step. I pray that it would make all the difference in their daily lives as they go to work this week, as they seek to love their families, as they seek to be faithful to you. May they be reminded of the resurrection to come, that that will motivate them to live for you, to love you, and honor you. Again, we thank you for the hope of the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.